Hello all, and welcome to this episode of No Home for Heroes. No Home for Heroes explores history's military mysteries regarding Americans who are missing in action from our past wars. These long-forgotten MIAs are remembered here. Today's episode is titled, A Mother's Love, and I'm your host, Rick Stone. No Home for Heroes is a trademark production sponsored by the Chief Rick Stone and Family Charitable Foundation. For more information on the foundation, visit our website at www.chiefrickstone.com. If you're hearing this preview of No Home for Heroes on YouTube or Audio Burst, we invite you to listen to the complete podcast on Apple Podcasts or whichever podcast platform you prefer, and available now for streaming on iHeartRadio. We know that today's not Mother's Day, but almost every one of our MIAs left a mother behind when they went off to war. A mother who worried about their son for months without knowing exactly where they were or what kind of danger they were in. Until, in some cases, that fateful telegram arrived at the front door, telling the mom the worst possible news that she could imagine. Stay tuned. And we'll tell you about the case of just one mother's son who became missing in action and the mother simply refused to believe he was gone right up until the day she died. All of us here at the Foundation want to dedicate this episode to our loyal listeners at the University of Kansas in Lawrence, Kansas. Thanks for loaning us one of your stellar students to help tell the story of an MIA who enlisted in the Marine Corps right down the road in Kansas City. And now, on with our show. Today's episode is from case number 0378 in the investigative case files of the Chief Rick Stone and Family Charitable Foundation. During my one year of frustration serving with the Joint POW-MIA Accounting Command, or JPAC, I read dozens, if not hundreds, of letters in the case files from the family members and exchanges between mothers and the United States government. The anxiety and overwhelming need for specific information about their missing loved ones often lasted right up until the death of the family member. In some cases, the very last letter in the file was dated the very same day the parent died, and in many cases, many decades after the end of World War II. Stay tuned while we tell you the sad story of one mother who never accepted the fact that her son was not coming home. To Franklin D. Roosevelt, President of the United States. Dear Mr. President, I have now waited another month since writing you, and have had no word from my son. Wouldn't you please let me know where my boy is? The last news we had of our son, he was fighting at Guadalcanal. If you can in any way find out if he is all right, please let his dad and I know. We are so worried. He he had been writing two letters every two weeks up until then. I haven't written him twice a week. Can't you give me some little idea where he is and what command he is serving under? It's awful hard to give your only son up and not even know where he is or anything. Not a word. He's our only boy and he's only 19, and we love him so. Please, if you can... Let us have some word of him. Western Union Telegram From the Commandant, United States Marine Corps, 23 December, 1943 Deeply regret to inform you that your son was killed in action in the performance of his duty and in the service of his country. 
to prevent possible aid to our enemies, please do not divulge the name of his ship or station. Present situation necessitates internment temporarily in the local locality where death occurred, and you will be notified accordingly. Please accept my heartfelt sympathy. Letter will follow. To Commandant of the Marine Corps. Dear Sir, after your telegram, I just received your letter of January 6, 1944, in regards to my son's death. You stated in this letter his death occurred November 20, 1943. I received a letter from my son saying he was aboard ship. This letter was not dated, but was postmarked December 20, 1943. Couldn't there be a mistake about my son being killed? Please investigate this. We have every hope he's alive, and God granted that he is. Will you send us a wire about this as soon as possible? We are so worried. We also have hopes now that our son is still with us. Signed, A Loving Mother. It was heartbreaking to read stories like this and to read the anguished pleas of moms, dad, wives, and even girlfriends. It was even more heartbreaking to see the dysfunctional management and disaster of leadership at JPAC and watch the continuing efforts by those in command to slow roll remaining family members by refusing to provide information from our files that would have either brought the family's closure or provided for the possibility that their loved ones might ultimately be found, identified, and returned home for burial. When I complained that we should tell the family members what we knew, the response by the command was always the same, quote, we don't want to give them false hope, end quote. My retort was also always the same. It was simply like this, hey, how about we tell the families the truth and we let them decide that there's hope, false or otherwise. Well, to that query, there was never an answer. Only more dysfunction, retaliation, and frustration. The management mantra of delay, deny, and wait for the families to die was in full bloom through a series of internal policies at JPAC, known by the members who worked there as slow rolling, to prevent the release of information. Our mission here at the Foundation is to provide that information to the family members of long-lost and, in many cases, long-forgotten MIAs. Our MIA today is Corporal Vincent Richard Condelario. Corporal Condelario stated he was born in Martin, South Dakota as the youngest of ten children to Peter and Nancy Moran Condelario. According to the 1921 through the 1937 census of the Ogallala Sioux Indians of Pine Ridge Agency in South Dakota, Corporal Condelario was 7 sixteenths blood Indian. He was known as Sonny to his family and friends. At the time of the 1930 federal census, Sonny's father was employed as a building contractor. Sonny graduated from St. Francis Mission High School in St. Francis, South Dakota, and he graduated as the class valedictorian. He applied for and was accepted to Regis College in Denver, Colorado, where he attended until the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor on 7 December 1941, when Sonny withdrew from his classes to enlist in the armed forces. Sonny enlisted in the United States Marine Corps in Kansas City, Missouri, on 17 December 1941, and was assigned the rank of private. Private Condelario completed all the necessary paperwork to receive U.S. government life insurance and listed his parents as his next of kin. 
Sonny was about 67 inches tall, which is 5 feet 7 inches. He weighed about 131 pounds. He had dark brown or maybe even black hair, and his blood type was O. Sonny listed his religious preference as Catholic. The letter C for Catholic may have been printed been imprinted on his USMC, United States Marine Corps, identification disc, or his dog tags. He had brown eyes, he was unmarried, and he had 20-20 vision. The date of Sonny's last recorded dental examination is unknown, but was likely shortly after his enlistment in December 1941. This examination noted that he had seven fillings, three extractions, and three wisdom teeth present. Sonny had no birthmarks, no breaks, or no fractures loaded in his medical records. He had one-inch scars on both hands and a one-inch scar on his right shin. And he had tattoos on his chest of V-C and H-S. And another tattoo on the inside of his left forearm that read simply, Mother. Private Condelario completed his USMC basic training with the 1st Recruit Battalion in San Diego, California. And on 24 January 1942, he qualified as a marksman on the Marine Corps rifle range with a Springfield Model 1903 caliber .30-06 rifle. Private Condelario graduated basic training in the Marine Corps on 28 January 1942 and was assigned to attend field telephone school as a member of the telephone company, Signal Battalion the Marine Corps base in San Diego, California. On 19 March 1942, Private Condelario embarked aboard the USS Procyon, which was a transport ship in San Diego Harbor, for transport to American Samoa. On 2 April 1942, the Procyon arrived in Tutia, American Samoa, and Private Condelario was transferred then to the Headquarters and Service Company, 8th Marines where he was rated as a specialist six-class telephone lineman. On 15 May 1942, Private Condelario's specialist rating was upgraded to a fifth-class radio visual panel operator. I truly don't know what that is, but it sounds pretty complicated for 1942. And he was assigned to the command post of the 8th Marine. In October 1942, Private Condelario and his company boarded the USS Barnett, for transport to the Solomon Islands, where they participated in the Guadalcanal campaign. Private Condelario and his company were withdrawn from Guadalcanal in February 1943 and shipped to New Zealand for a period of rest, refit, and retraining in preparation for the invasion of Tarawa. Private Condelario was promoted to Private First Class, PFC, on 18 February 1943. While in New Zealand, Private Condelario and his company participated in the landing exercises aboard the USS Ormsby from 18 to 22 September 1943 and aboard the USS Haywood from 12 to 19 October 1943. Private First Cast Condelario was promoted to Corporal. In the headquarters company of the 1st Battalion, 8th Marines, was originally designated to land on Tarawa on the first day of the invasion, 20 November 1943. Corporal Condelario's battalion was transported from their training bases in New Zealand to Tarawa on board the USS Sheridan. At about 1.43, 1.45 in the afternoon on the first day of the invasion, 20 November 1943, 
The commander of the 8th Marines, Colonel Elmer Hall, received instruction to prepare his command group of the 1st Battalion, under the command of Major Lawrence C. Hayes, to move their landing craft to the line of departure and await final instructions before landing on the beach. Corporal Condelario and other members of his headquarters company assigned to Major Hans Hayes' command post team climbed down the rope ladders from their transport ship into the Higgins boats alongside the Sheridan and slowly began circling outside the lagoon while awaiting orders to land. In an incredible series of communication and command blunders, Corporal Condelario and his company were forced to endure over 18 hours in that small landing craft circling around other transport ships and mine layer USS Pursuit. 18 hours bobbing around in that water. Can you imagine how seasick and nauseated they must have been with no food and little water and bobbing around in that command or in that landing craft for 18 hours? Throughout the afternoon of 20 November 1943 and the long night prior to dawn on the 21st of November 1943, the men of Corporal Condelario's company were battered by the waves, lack of food and fresh water, exhaust fumes of their boats, and overcome by nausea from seasickness. During one of the endless circles during the night, the boat carrying the regimental chaplain, Lieutenant Willard, passed near Colonel Hall's boat, and Lieutenant Willard called out, Hey! What are they saving us for? The junior prom? <laughs> Finally, in an act that brought cheers from the exhausted members of Corporal Condelario's unit, they were ordered to land on Red Beach 2 shortly after dawn at 6.15 in the morning of the second day of the invasion. Their excitement soon turned to horror as the landing craft could not float over the lagoon's coral reef, and the boats became grounded on the coral about 500 yards from the beach, over a quarter of a mile. When Major Hayes' command boat slammed against the reef, he called out, Men, debark! And as they jumped into the four-foot-deep warm water, followed by members of the command post team that likely included Corporal Condelario, most of the men found the water came up to about chest deep. Marines that were relatively short, like Corporal Condelario at five feet seven, probably found the depth of the water up very close to their chin. Japanese gunners opened fire with machine guns and small arms from multiple directions, including an abandoned LVT in the lagoon, that's a landing vehicle track, an American-type boat, and the hulk of the Japanese ja transport ship also held other Japanese machine gun positions. Caught in a withering crossfire, the battalion was torn to shreds. First Lieutenant Frank Plant, the battalion air liaison officer, was in the command boat, and began pulling wounded marines back inside the landing craft. He noted the water was colored purple with blood. As Lieutenant Plant hurried to catch up to Major Hayes and the surviving members of the command post team, including Corporal Condelario, he found that his landing craft vehicle personnel, LCVP, was able to withdraw from the reef and headed back to the transport ship with a load of dead and wounded marines. It took about 75 minutes for Major Hayes and his command post team to reach a position on Red Beach 2 near the boundary with Red Beach 1. And at about 8 o'clock in the morning, Major Hayes reported to Colonel David Shoup, the ranking officer on shore. Major Hayes reported that he had lost most of his equipment and hundreds of his men during the wade in to the beach. 
Colonel Shoup ordered Major Hayes to regroup his men as best as possible and assault westward just off the beach in an attempt to link up with Major Mike Ryan's Marines on Red Beach 1. Corporal Condelaria was listed as killed in action on 21 November 1943. The circumstances of his loss are not known. The Graves Registration Unit Report of January 1944 and the Island Commander's Report by Captain E.C.B. Gould in June 1944 all list Corporal Condelaria as buried at an unknown location rather than listing him as missing as was done with many other Tarawa casualties. Corporal Condelario's USMC casualty card lists him as killed in action on 21 November and simply states, Buried at Tarawa, 11-21-43. But his casualty card does not know the cause of death. It also lists a memorial grave in Cemetery 33, which was not the site of an actual burial. All the other documents in Corporal Condelario's official military personnel file concurred that he was killed on 21 November and buried at an unknown location. His documents include a certificate of death with that same information. Corporal Condelario individual deceased personnel file, sometimes called IDPF, has the following notation regarding his remains. Corporal Vincent R. Condelario was officially reported killed in action on 21 November 1943 while participating in action against the enemy on Tarawa Atoll, Gilbert Island. Entry in his service record book states, Remains were buried 21 November 1943 on Basio Island, Tarawa Atoll, location and number of grave unknown. Well, sadly, Sonny's mother died in 1961 without ever receiving word of Sonny's burial location. Sonny's father died in 1969 without ever receiving word of Sonny's burial location. Sonny's sister, Alberta, told us, quote, Vincent was a very serious young man and had many dreams and many ambitions for his future, end quote. Well, so the 1960s passed, and so did the 1970s, the 80s, the 90s, and a new millennium came about until 2011 when Sonny's case landed on my desk at the Joint POW-MIA Accounting Command for me to investigate. At JPAC, I was able to narrow down the total list of most likely matches for Private First Class slash Corporal Condelario to just two unknowns from Tarawa buried in the Punchbowl Cemetery. The Chief Rick Stone and Family Charitable Foundation continued to work on Corporal Condelario's case, and by the time Sonny's family contacted the Foundation in 2018, our investigators had been able to eliminate both the original most likely matches from the list to be Corporal Condelario. At the present time, there are four unknowns recovered from Tarawa who must be considered in the lower grade possibility of possible matches to Corporal Condelario, but they cannot totally be eliminated because of a lack of dentition, teeth, and lack of dental charts to compare to Sonny's 1941 dental chart. So, the bottom line is this. Mother Nancy's little boy Sonny might 
be one of the four sets of unknown remains recovered in 1946 on Tarawa that are in storage at the Defense POW MIA Accounting Agency Laboratory to this very day in Honolulu, Hawaii. Or, Sonny might be one of the 53 sets of remains to date that have been recovered on Tarawa since 1963 that the Defense POW MIA Accounting Agency has not been able to identify. Or, Sonny might still be buried on Tarawa in an undiscovered grave to this very day. Well, we know that's a lot of mites and not any definites. But, as we said in the beginning, it's best to tell the family the truth about a case and let them decide if there's hope. For our part, we hope with them that Sonny will be found and brought home to his mother in South Dakota, finally. Thank you for listening to this episode of No Home for Heroes. We hope you've enjoyed today's production, and we invite you to check out our other episodes. You can now subscribe to listen free on Apple Podcasts or whichever platform you like to listen to podcasts from, and also even on iHeartRadio. Don't forget to tune in every Saturday when we will post a new episode of History's Military Mysteries Missing in Action. Episodes of No Home for Heroes are produced from the actual investigative case files of the Chief Rickstone and Family Charitable Foundation, dedicated to providing information to the families of missing American servicemen and missing American service women. As always, we greatly appreciate your comments, and a special link is available for you to contact us on our website at www.chiefrickstone.com. You sure don't want to miss our next episode with another true story of one of our missing American heroes. Tune in to hear it for yourself next week on No Home for Heroes. Until next time, be careful, be safe, and wishing you fair winds and following seas, I'm your host, Rick Stone, reminding you that poor is the nation that has no heroes, but shameful is the nation that having heroes forgets them. <laughs>